from deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, a topic that is moving to the front burner of uh, our nation's mental stovetop, just to complete the uh, figure of speech, is cybersecurity. Of course, we've had the Colonial Pipeline hack and then uh, the JBS meatpacking hack, a packing hack, pack hacking. And, um, and so it's, I think, time to reintroduce into the national conversation, if it was ever there to any great extent in the first place, two words that seem to be at the heart of all this, although they're not being spoken that often in the current context. Those words are air-gapping. That means that somehow you figure out, you, Mr. Businessman, (laughs) to quote Ray Stevens, you figure out how to have two separate computer systems, one that controls your stuff, your machinery, your operations, your pipelines, your meatpacking, and the other that connects you to the public Internet where you can get your email or watch an out-of-town football game. Air-gapping means those two are not connected. They're separated. So that somebody who sends you a phishing email cannot thereby gain access to your operational control system. I know it seems simple, and yet it doesn't seem to be done. Here is Christopher Krebs, who was the head of cybersecurity and infrastructure security at the Department of Homeland Security. A lot of security going on. And this was his testimony before a House committee a few days ago. Quote, The underlying enabling factors for this cyber crime explosion are rooted in the digital dumpster fire of our seemingly pathological need to connect everything to the Internet, combined with how hard it is to actually secure what we've connected. I'm going to repeat those words. The patho- our seemingly pathological need to connect everything to the Internet. It, it, uh, in case you missed this, within weeks after Edward Snowden revealed how the NSA was listening and, uh, to and watching everything, was the every January occurrence of the Consumer Electronics Show where the Internet of Things was introduced to the public for the, the consuming public for the first time. It seemed really like the worst time of all to introduce, hey, connect everything to the Internet after Snowden's revelations, and yet, pathological dumpster fire. While I'm giving advice to um, the cyber world, here's, here's just a little tip for, uh, for Silicon Valley. Make this the next thing you come up with before you come up with any other dumb stuff. Self-diagnosis. If these machines are so smart, how come they tell us, they don't tell us, sorry, how come they don't tell us what's wrong with themselves? Hello, welcome to the show.
summer was sweet and so she spent it in the city as a blue most lucky too no one ever told her that someday maybe she'd have to give in thought you'd take the time and teach you quite a lesson but soon she's feeling down it's really quite depressing now that no one else thinks she was one to win Cause we all walk the line, all walk the line, then we give in. Yes, we all walk the line, all walk the line, then we give in. We give in, we give in. The summer's hot, but she still spends it in the city. Triple jobs for slobs who don't know much of anything And one day she's had enough, she gives up, she gives in Meets a man who can because he's got the money Has some kids and says it's his She'll get the house when she wants out She's got the lifestyle now, without the worry Cause we all walk the line, all walk the line Then we give in Yes, we all walk the line, all walk the line, then we give in, we give in, we give in. Don't go judging now or taking to the high road. Cast a stone, you're on your own, cause in this dirty world, no one's From New Orleans, Louisiana, where it, um, I don't know how you're supposed to hold the umbrella so that your pant legs don't get wet when it rains this hard, but I'll be figuring it out soon. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show, and now, ladies and gentlemen, news of... Well, here's good news. At least 100 U.S. counties, towns, and cities have bought China-made surveillance systems that the U.S. government has linked to human rights abuses, according to contract data seen by TechCrunch. Some municipalities have spent tens of thousands of dollars or more to buy surveillance equipment made by two Chinese technology companies, Hikvision, with just a K, not a CK, and Dahua, after the companies were added to the U.S. government's blacklist in 2019. The two companies were linked to ongoing efforts by the Chinese governments to suppress ethnic minorities in Xinjiang, where most Uyghur Muslims live. You're familiar with what the Chinese are doing to the Muslims, the Uyghurs, aren't you? Congress also banned U.S. federal agencies from buying new Hikvision and Dahua technology, 
or renewing contracts over fears it could help the Chinese government conduct espionage. Espionage. But those federal actions broadly do not apply at the state and city level, allowing local governments, your local government right there in the city hall, to buy these Chinese-made surveillance systems, including video cameras and thermal imaging cameras. I'm giving off heat. I don't know about you. Largely uninhibited, so long as federal funds are not used to buy the equipment. Details of the contracts were provided to TechCrunch. That's a website concentrating on tech. Not crunch. They don't run stories on breakfast cereals. As far as I know, they were provided by GovSpend, which tracks federal and state government spending. The biggest spender, according to the data, was the Board of Education in Fayette County, Georgia. They spent $490,000 last year on dozens of Hikvision thermal cameras, temperature checks in public schools. Just so you know how warm your kids are. <laughs> A statement provided by the spokesperson for Fayette County Public School, Schools, Melinda Berry Driesback. Melinda Berry Driesback, he got me on the go, said the cameras were purchased from its longtime security vendor authorized dealer for Hickvision. Statement didn't address whether the Board of Education was aware of Hickvision's links to human right abuses, and the spokesperson did not spoke in answer to follow-up questions. Research found many thermal scanners, including Hickvision and Dawa models, produced inaccurate readings, so you don't really know how warm your children are. That prompted the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to issue a public health alert warning, not just a warning, but an alert warning, that misreported readings could present, quote, potentially serious public health risks. Like right now, where I'm sitting, it's so chill from the air conditioning and then the wet legs from the rain outside, I may not, I may not make it through. I may not make it through this. No, I will, I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. But owners of Amazon, I'm going to... Um, prepare myself for this um, this next story, although apparently I'm not prepared. So I'll, I'll just go forward. In the ordinary non-technological way, owners of Amazon Echo Assistance and Ring Doorbells have until Tuesday of this week to avoid automatically opting into Sidewalk. That is Amazon's giant mesh network. Sounds like something you'd step in in the rain. No, it taps into people's broadband and may prove to be a privacy nightmare, according to the British tech journal, The Register. Here's the notion. If your internet connection goes down or is interrupted, your Amazon smart home devices will still be able to communicate with the outside world and send out alerts or tech instructions by wireless connecting to neighbors' sidewalk-compatible Wi-Fi connections. That sounds nice, doesn't it? The sidewalk gizmos communicate with one another using Bluetooth over short distances. And uh, that uses Wi-Fi to reach the public Internet and Amazon's servers. So here you go. If you happen to be air-gapped through no fault of your own, you can avoid it. Thanks to Amazon not even asking. By joining this mesh, you can expect to hand over as much as... 80,000 kilobits per second, uh, bits per second, yeah, kilobits per second, of your broadband bandwidth to other devices in your neighbor's homes. 
There are other gadgets that can access this network. Tile trackers, little devices you attach to your stuff so they can be found again on Bluetooth. Amazon hopes Sidewalk will create a large ad hoc network that covers swaths of the U.S. to help people easily find lost pets and belongings, improve connectivity for Ring and Echo-powered applications. Amazon, its mesh to be cast as wide as possible, and so from June 8th, the Sidewalk-capable devices will be opted into the network by default. After June 8th, you can opt out at any time if you know how to disable Sidewalk features in your device. Another, another set of instructions to uh, read. I'm still trying to read the ones for my camera. Prior to that date, prior to Tuesday, if you wish to avoid this automatic enrollment, you have to open your account settings in your Alexa app and switch off Sidewalk or from the control center in your Ring app. Still want them? Here's a list of all the Amazon devices that can connect to Sidewalk unless you stop them. Ring floodlight cam, ring spotlight cam, ring spotlight cam mount, Echo, 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 dot, echo, dot for kids, echo, 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 dot for clock, with clock, echo, echo, plus, echo, echo, show, echo, spot, echo, studio, echo, input, and echo, flex, 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 flex. Project has been in the works for a while. Now it's just about to kick in. Amazon Sidewalk only exacerbates the privacy risks that echo and ring devices pose to the public. That's the word from Alfred Kahn, sorry, Albert Kahn, of the nonprofit Surveillance Technology Oversight Project. Quote, the new mesh network raises a whole array of concerns about how users' data is potentially exposed to other device owners. If Amazon is successful, in, he continues, if Amazon is successful in expanding this mesh network, it could raise huge antitrust concerns. <laughs> what country are you living in, mate? Uh, creating a parallel Internet from countless Internet of Things devices. This risks giving one of the world's worst monopolists control over not just our devices, but the Internet itself, unquote. Amazon promises data transferred via the system will be encrypted and that it has put in place defenses to safeguard people, information, and devices. <laughs> The Electronic Frontier Foundation's Director of Technology Projects, John Callis, says although the security paper, white paper that Amazon issued, quote, looks pretty good, unquote, there's bound to be at least one bug or overlooked shortcoming that will affect someone somewhere. For instance, he said a widespread mesh will make it a lot easier to suddenly and secretly track someone with something like a hidden tile. The risk of sidewalk is not in its network use of privacy, but in the way that it creates opportunities for people to use it to track and stalk others. Well, sidewalk does rhyme with stalk. It's a smart, 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 smart world. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly. Well, you knew that the Catholic Church has long since criminalized the sexual abuse of adults by priests, right? No, they haven't. Pope Francis just changed church law to do that this week. 
criminalize the sexual abuse by priests. And to say that lay people who, lay people who hold church office can be sanctioned for similar sex crimes, that's this week that happened in the church, the Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church. I know better late than never, but the new provisions released after 14 years of study. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to go out on a limb and just say, that's too, if there was ever such a thing as too much study, that was it. The new provisions are contained in the revised criminal law section of the Vatican's Code of Canon Law. That's the law that uh, governs the use of canons, I guess. In it. No, it's the in-house legal system that governs the church. The most significant changes, according to uh, the uh, story here, are contained in two articles which aim to address major shortcomings in the church's handling of sexual abuse. The law recognizes that adults, too, too, I, get, I went falsetto on that for you, can be victimized by priests who abuse their, I'll do this, abuse their authority over them, and said that lay people in church offices, such as school principals or parish economists, did you know about that? I had no idea, can be punished for abusing minors as well as adults. Vatican also criminalized the, quote, grooming of minors or vulnerable adults by priests to compel them to engage in pornography. It's the first time its church has officially recognized as criminal the method used by sexual predators to build relationships with their victims to sexually exploit them, i.e. grooming. The law also removes much of the discretion that had long been allowed bishops and religious superiors to ignore or cover up abuse, making clear they can be held responsible for omissions and negligence in failing to investigate and sanction errant, errant priests. Just errant. A bishop can now be removed from office for, quote, culpable negligence, unquote, or if he fails to report sex crimes to church authorities. There is no punishment in the law if he fails to report the crime to police. Ever since the 1983 code was first issued on this subject, lawyers and bishops... I don't see them hanging out a lot together, but anyway, lawyers and bishops have complained it was completely inadequate to deal with the sexual abuse of minors since it required time-consuming trials. Victims and their advocates, meanwhile, argued it left too much discretion in the hands of bishops who had an interest in covering up for their priests. Oh, no. You've got to be kidding me. Bishops would be doing that? Apparently so. But wait, there's more news of the godly one of Roman Catholicism's most influential liberal figures. Germany's Cardinal Reinhard Marx, Marx has offered to resign as Archbishop of Munich, saying he had to share responsibility for the, quote, catastrophe, unquote, of sexual abuse by clerics over past decades. His offer, which the Pope, Francis the Talking Pope, has yet to accept, follows an uproar among the German faithful over abuse. Last week, the Pope sent two senior foreign bishops to investigate the Archbishop of Cologne, Germany's hardest, over its handling of abuse cases. Apparently, something smells wrong in Cologne. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have to share responsibility for the catastrophe of sexual abuse by officials of the Church over past decades, Marx wrote in a letter to the Pope. He said he hoped his departure could create space for a new beginning, or at least a new office. He's not in any under any suspicion of having participated in abuse or cover-ups, but he says churchmen had to take personal responsibility for institutional 
failings. And there's more. The Archbishop of Archbishop of St. Paul in Minneapolis, he would be a twin archbishop, I guess, announced this week it has complete, completed the archdiocese and completed a, an exhaustive review into the Reverend Kevin McDonough. He was the former point person on clergy sex abuse for the archdiocese, and according to the archdiocese, he failed, albeit not intentionally, to adequately keep children safe. Just just uh, an oversight, keeping children safe. As a result of the investigation, the archdiocese has deemed him fit for ministry, but will bar him from holding leadership positions involving protection of children. He'll be allowed to continue the work as pastor of a church in South Minneapolis. He was the vicar general of the archdiocese. I guess he'd been promoted from vicar lieutenant of the archdiocese for nearly 20 years, responsible for investigating reports of misconduct and providing services to victims. He's not been accused of abuse, but rather of mishandling cases of known child sex abusers who just happened to go on to abuse other children. The investigation said he had not always demonstrated sufficiently sound judgment in handling allegations of ministerial misconduct or in attending to his duties to prevent harm and create safer environments. Although he, quote, did not attend, intend for, crime, for harm to occur, harm did occur. He didn't respond to requests for comment about the harm. He didn't intend to have occur, but did occur. A Roman Catholic pastor in Tennessee confessed in an open letter that as a 19-year-old seminarian, he was the target of sexual advances by an older priest later accused of abusing other teens and admits he failed to forcefully sound the alarm about this, quote, troublesome person, unquote. Father Brent Shelton insisted he was, quote, not a sexual abuse victim as such, but I'm a witness to priestly predation, which I was complicit in covering up, unquote. He didn't say in the letter why he chose this year to divulge that Father Jose Saldana, now deceased, allegedly forced himself on top of him, Father Brent, at a red root in Texas, red roof in Texas, more than three decades ago. Again, with the better late than never. I've thought about that hotel incident every single day since it happened over 30 years ago, but I cringe whenever any priest or bishop speaks of the need for healing in these situations, Shelton said. He wrote in a letter, In my case, I have this cross to carry. Ouch! And I intend to continue doing so, offering it up for reform in our Lord's Church. He did not respond to phone calls or an emailed address for comment. That letter published by a Catholic blogger, came amid reports that his bishop, Rick Stika of the Knoxville Diocese, was under fire for allegedly interfering in the diocesan investigation of a seminarian accused of sexually assaulting a male church worker. He was uh, not Saldana, a priest who worked in Texas. News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. Sounds like it's fun to be a godly, be godly, doesn't it? Because you can almost wait forever. It, yeah, news of the godly, it is a copyrighted feature of this show. Now, I'm going to read the trades for you. Might make you feel better. 
What are you going to do when you're watching commercial-free streaming? And what is the service who's providing your commercial-free streaming going to do when it wants to uh, serve you some commercials? It's Roku, and I'll read it for you. Roku, it's this from Ad Age. Roku is launching a new show called Roku Recommends. It's the first effort out of its new brand studio. Giving advertisers the opportunity to reach viewers before they move into an ad-free environment. The show is a proving ground for Roku's recent new capabilities, like its brand studio and its measurement partner program, which helps advertisers better measure ad performance. They're still trying to prove that advertising works. After only 100 years, it's uh, or more, it's aimed at helping brands adapt to a consumer trend towards ad-free streaming. The advertisers are going to help you adapt to that. Thank you. Roku men recommends as a TV guide of sorts, surfacing content for streaming viewers who often find themselves on an endless search and highlighting content that's trending. Walmart will be the show's debut sponsor. And Roku says it has other brands signed on. The show does two things, says the head of brand studio at Roku. It solves a problem for our users of, oh my God, what to watch. And it also works as a silver bullet for our advertisers. At least you're able to capture their attention before they move on to an ad-free service. Didn't say whether the bullet is to the head. The show will feature branded segments like one called Childproof Locks. There will be Brand Safe for Kids and Custom Integrations where hosts will take a break and talk about a brand or product as if it were a video podcast. You know, that reminds me, my wife and I had been sleeping for the last three months on the best mattress. Oh, sorry. No, that's for the podcast. The show will also be the first to use the measurement partner program, which relies on ad measurement companies like Adjust and Kantar to help advertisers determine the reach and impact of their campaigns. Roku says advertisers can track metrics over re- like reach over various par- platforms and campaign outcomes. The show's new ad formats reflect demand for ads that are more native to streaming, programmatic, and yes, more like digital advertising. Instead of just simply reusing the same ads from regular TV. Oh no. We don't want to do that. But we know what we want to do is get viewers right before they enter an ad-free environment. Keeping track on the silver bullets when I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature. 
that quarter shine I left behind. Oh, it's the shocking knives, late night dives, church bells, people chime. I said goodbye. Delivered by Savior with a Said it to the country man in my Mississippi home. Well, I asked my friends to come on up, but it's hard to get them just to call. CPR's look behind the surface of today's news. I'm Ira Zipkin in Washington. Wherever you look, as long as you look in the United States, 
the COVID-19 vaccination effort has entered a new phase. Whether it's a big cash lottery or free tickets to newly accessible sports events, states are trying to raise declining vaccination rates by offering a wide range of incentives. As one observer noted, it's like a President's Day sale at the hospital. But now this action has triggered a reaction. I've been talking with some organizers of What About Us, like Karen Claymore in her diner in Ontario, California. Look, I'm a very tolerant person. When my friends or my customers were making a big deal about not getting the shots last winter, I didn't give them any crap about it. Well, I was like an anti-Karen Karen. But then all of these incentives started, and I realized, like, where's ours? You know, we did the right thing, and we did it early, and all we got was a little sticker. Well, you know what? Screw their little sticker. I want my free tickets. Or our million-dollar lottery. Roger Blankenship does drive-in shoe repair in Escanaba, Michigan. I mean, we're being discriminated against for doing what we were told to do. You know, what about next time and I hear some Dr. Fauci character tell me to get a vaccination or take a pill? No, why shouldn't I say, okay, Mr. Health Official, as soon as he set up a nice incentive program, I'm there, right? I'm not going to be Mr. Do-what-the-health-guy-says-for-nothing again, am I? <laughs> I'm supposed to do that just for my health? Like, what is this, Russia? I don't think so. At first, the response was overwhelmingly favorable. Dr. Judd Pickens is head of the Osage County Health Department in a state he prefers to keep anonymous. People clamoring to sign up for the Apricots and Red Hots for Shots program. Suddenly, our drive-up facilities are like parking lots, which, I mean, that's what they were, just in the sense of, you know, suddenly the cars were lined up all the way to I-40 Service Road. Then, the what about us thing started, and now we're being accused of discriminating in favor of the anti-vaxxers. I mean, when's the last time you heard of somebody picketing the health department? So then we went to the local teams and said to them, we, we now need twice as many free tickets to try to make this right for everybody. And they looked at me as if I'm crazy. Well, I know one thing. It's not on our budget. So they should just have thought of that before they started. If it costs twice as much to be fair to everybody, then that's just the price of freedom. One state legislator we talked with said, off mic, that if this keeps up, we'll just have to give free stuff to everybody. And then nobody will want to work. And for now, that's all from All in All. Support comes from the Doris G. French Foundation, dedicated to saying the name of Doris G. French on the radio at least twice a week. I'm Ira Zipkin, and there'll be more All in All Next time, it's time for All in All. This is CPR, public radio for the rest of us. And now news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim the III. And we've got so much of it. The... The crescendo of Olympic news increases to be redundant about it. The head of uh, Japan's Olympics organizing committee ruled out this week another suspension of the Games despite deep disquiet. 
At the prospect of thousands of athletes and officials arriving during a fourth wave of COVID, Japan's most senior medical advisor said this week public health guidance, including his, was not reaching the IOC. Quote, quote, <laughs> we're now considering where we should give our advice. He told lawmakers, if they want to hold the games, it's our job to tell them what the risks are, unquote. Many sponsors aren't sure how to proceed with events. Maybe they need a silver bullet. Thousands of volunteers have also quit, this according to Reuters. Public broadcaster is quoted as saying this week. A Japanese city due to host Kenya's team for pre-Olympics training camp has canceled because the coronavirus situation there is critical, said the Kenyan Olympic Committee this week, according to the AP. City officials from Kuruma, Kurume, in the Fukuoka prefecture near the southern tip of Japan had informed Kenya on Tuesday that they were canceling, the committee said. The letter reported that COVID infections have rapidly spread in Kurume since mid-April and the situation has been recognized as critical. The letter continued, the nationwide spread of infection did not subside even in May and in that prefecture, the number of new infections and the number of hospitalized patients both have reached a record high. The city told Kenya's team the sports facilities it had set aside to use by the visiting athletes for their pregame prep had now been turned into vaccination centers, and the head of the Kenyan team said it was too late to organize another training camp in Japan before the Olympics. Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics Organizing Committee denied a Financial Times report that Japanese sponsors have called for the Games to be postponed to September or October amid the pandemic. There is no such demand, the organizers said, in response to the report, which claimed some sponsors have been calling for postponement to allow more spectators to attend. You know, they need the eyeballs and heighten the marketing impact of their investment as sponsors. Sponsors paid a record of more than $3 billion to sponsor the games and another $200 million to extend contracts after the games were delayed. They're uncertain how to proceed with advertising campaigns, according to Reuters. They're quoting 12 officials and sources of companies directly involved in the sponsorship. Even if spectators are allowed, the Tokyo government has no plans to allow alcohol at its public viewing sites outside venues. Sponsors have grown frustrated with what they've seen as slow decision-making and complain to organizers. There are so many different scenarios we can't prepare, said the source, who, like most of the people interviewed as sponsors, declined to be identified because they're sponsors. Ahead of the games, the Japanese city of Kamo spent about $640,000 on equipment for training facilities for Russian gymnasts who now won't be coming. The team scrapped plans for pre-Olympics training because of the pandemic. And one more thing after we remind you that the Olympics is a movement and we all need one every day. That's right, more Olympic news than there was music. I got a call. uh, what's, What's the composer's name? You know who I mean. Anyway, there is, in fact, one more story to be covered here in the Olympic movement. 
Jules Boykoff is a professor of political science at Pacific University in Oregon, the author of the book No Olympics. He wrote a recent op-ed in the New York Times entitled, A Sports Event Shouldn't Be a Super Spreader. That's according to Oregon Public Broadcasting. I miss you, Oregon Public Broadcasting. Arguing for cancellation brings me no joy, says Boykoff. When I think about athletes and all they've done to try to achieve their dreams... He said the IOC is not requiring vaccines. Less than 3% of the the Japanese population is already fully vaccinated. And they're in the midst of a fourth wave of virus infections. The U.S. State Department issued a travel four-level advisory for visiting Japan, meaning don't go. And Boykoff says, I stand with medical officials in Japan and across the world who are clamoring for the Olympics to be canceled. In addition to not having a requirement for vaccinations, the Olympic Committee is not implementing any quarantine mandates for people entering the country. He said there's a conflicting number on how many of the athletes will be vaccinated. Doctors across Tokyo and Japan, says Boykoff, are wondering aloud if the actual legacy of the Olympic Games could be an Olympic strain of the virus and that that could be what the Olympics would be known for at the end of the day. That's a horrifying process, says Boykoff. Not a boycott, but a Boykoff. Well, it is, it is, in fact, a movement, and the question is, which way is it moving? And now, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. You know, there's forwards and there's backwards. The German government has apologized this week for committing genocide. No, not that one. It's genocide during the uh, occupation of what is now Namibia, officially acknowledging the slaughter of two ethnic groups in the early 20th century. Oh, that's so long. Germany's foreign minister made the announcement following five years of negotiations. Well, that's like too much negotiation. Between the German government and Namibian officials, Germany has promised more than $1 billion in development projects to communities where the killings occurred. Here's some money to replace your dead people. German governments had denied the country's responsibility for the killings in the African nation more than 100 years ago, but rejected an official apology to avoid compensation. The refusal to take responsibility came in sharp contrast to the country's dealing with its other gen- its other genocide. You know the one you've heard of? The Namibian government called the announcement, quote, a first step in the right direction. Like, Germany's got to do more? Descendants of the victims wanted direct reparations. The German government instead chose payments of about $1.3 billion for development projects over a 30-year period. The genocide in question occurred between 1904 and 1908, as German forces fought a rebellion of the Herero and Nama tribes in an area known as Southwest Africa. Many Americans were out and about during Memorial Day weekend. A Los Angeles-based influencer and competitive eater, Raina Wang, I just read him, wanted to attempt another food challenge 
at Pizza and Ribs in Aurora, Colorado. She was seeking to take on the OMG 28-inch Pizza Challenge in which competitors are required to finish the pizza measuring over two feet in diameter in only an hour or pay $100. When she spoke to the restaurant's owner about trying the challenge, she was met with explicit names, accusations of being a scammer, and eventually kicked out of the restaurant. Surveillance footage shows her explaining to the owner that she does food challenges often and posts them on her YouTube channel. The owner's remarks do not appear in the surveillance footage, but a separate video posted by Wang shows an irate owner, irate owner making crude comments. I've never had a restaurant experience this bad. She said, I was just here to do a pizza challenge. Following the incident, the restaurant received plenty of blowback. More than 50 people left one-star reviews on Yelp. The daughter of the restaurant's owner, Stephanie Wiend, witnessed the incident and regrets how it went down. I think it could have been handled better. All I want to say is that I apologize to Raina and to everyone. She added she, her father definitely feels bad about how he acted. According to a Denver TV station, Google reviews of the restaurant show a track record of the owner using foul language and threatening customers, to which his daughter responded that her father only does that when necessary. Tapo Day Club owner Rocco Termini, this is in Buffalo, New York, apologized for a dress code he admits was offensive and said the club will revise the policy. The new club and restaurant, which offers accesses to its outdoor pool and lounge for 25 bucks a day, came under the less than a month came under fire less than a month after opening when a photo of the dress code was posted on social media. It banned backpacks, graphic T-shirts, athletic jerseys, camouflage headphones, hoodies, flat brim hats, work boots, ripped jeans, excessive or oversized jewelry, excessively baggy clothing, and bandanas on men. Also requiring belts to be worn. The rules also said any bag larger than a cell phone was subject to church. Termini said in a statement the dress code was instituted after a physical altercation at last month's grand opening left employees and patrons frightened. In hindsight, the content of the policy clearly sent the wrong message, was offensive, and it should not have been done hastily in an attempt to prevent the type of violent incident that occurred on our opening night from happening in the future. He added the club apologizes and will be immediately revising the content of the dress code policy, unquote. How about no nudity, period? The city of Fullerton, California, sent a lawsuit with two local news bloggers. They uh, run a site called Friends for Fullerton's Future, FFF, were accused of criminal hacking by the city after they published digital files pertaining to police misconduct. But the Fullerton system was never hacked. The files were much among a cache of documents and a publicly applicable Dropbox folder. The city neglected to make the folder private. As part of the settlement, Fullerton has publicly apologized to the bloggers and admitted to the mistake it will pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in damages and legal fees. And the uh, blogging organization, Friends for Fullerton's, Fullerton's Future, will return the rest of the documents in its possession, which was the entire goal of the litigation, according to them. See, sometimes litigation achieves its goal. The U.S. Army has apologized. No, not for any of that. Soldiers accidentally stormed a factory in Bulgaria during a training exercise last month. 
Soldiers with the 173rd Airborne practice seizing and securing the Cheshinigirovo Airfield, Jirovo. Soldiers stormed, stormed and cleared bunkers and buildings across the decommissioned airfield. It was uh, occupied by Bulgarian civilians operating a private business, said the Army. The private business was a factory that makes processing machinery for the production of olive oil. The Army said in its statement that no weapons were fired during the incident. It was caught on the factory's security cameras. A Bulgaria reporter posted the video on Twitter. The U.S. Army takes training seriously and prioritizes the safety of our soldiers, our allies, and civilians, said the Army. We sincerely apologize to the business and its employees. The Army is investigating the incident so that it can determine the source of the mistake to make sure training areas are clearly defined for future exercises and no soldiers had been disciplined. That's what I call discipline. And Dateline Vancouver, Vancouver's Archbishop, is apologizing on social media and offering his condolences to the families of the 215 indigenous children whose remains were recently found in Kamloops. That is a uh, community in British Columbia. A, uh, an Indian residential school was located there. In light of the heartbreaking disclosure of the remains, I am writing to express my deep apology and profound condolences to the families and communities that have been devastated by this horrific news, said Archbishop J. Michael Miller in the first part of his 14-part Twitter thread. The church was unquestionably wrong in implementing a government colonialist policy which resulted in devastation for children, families, and communities. He added, the Kamloops Indian Residential School opened under Roman Catholic administration in 1890, operating until 1969, and the federal Canadian government has renewed the demand for an apology from the Pope. The indigenous relations minister says Catholics should put pressure on the church to do what is right. The That's Canada, ladies and gentlemen. The Apologies of the Week, it is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And uh, now, before we close things up, for this week. News of Dominion. From city centers to rural fields, human activity has decimated populations of France's most common bird species. Scientists warned this week, signing data that was collected over 30 years by volunteer ornithologists. Between 1989 and 2019, over 2,000 French bird lovers participated in monitoring the nation's 123 most common bird species through a Tracking Common Birds Over Time program, effort sponsored by the French National Museum of Natural History, whose president, Bruno David, called the findings unrelenting. Over a third of common French buried species are in decline, including the European goldfinch, the European turtle dove, the common house martin, and 40 others, according to the museum. The sharpest drops in populations were on farmlands, where numbers dropped 30% in 30 years. Why, that's a percent a year. Followed by urban areas, which saw declines of about 
So man's pretty consistent in uh, his war on birds. Forest birds have fared somewhat better because there are less people in forests. Their numbers falling by 10% over the last three decades. A con- conservation biologist at a press conference this week said the loss of birds in agricultural territories is a, quote, massacre, unquote. He published a study three years ago detailing the decline. Our countryside is in the process of becoming a veritable desert, he said. Well, I, I guess you can get some French dates pretty soon. They grow in the desert, don't they? Some some deserts. Just a guess. And now, uh, finally, some news of our friend the Atom, the U.S. Army No, the U.S. Energy Department is seeking bids to manage the federal government's only underground nuclear waste repository. This comes amid efforts to rebound from a pandemic-related showdown and as work continues to replace the facility's ventilation system following a radiation release seven years ago that forced a nearly three-year closure. The agency issued its final request for proposals for the waste insulation isolation pilot plant this week. The four-year contract to manage the southern New Mexico facilities is worth about $3 billion. Current contract with Nuclear Waste Partnership is expiring in next April. The company's going to bid again. The repository is central to the federal government's multi-billion dollar program for cleaning up Cold War-era waste left at sites around the country that were involved in bomb-making and nuclear research like Hanford in Washington. State environmental regulators recently concluded a public meeting, a virtual one, on proposed permit changes that watchdog groups have said could open the door to expanded operations at the repository. No decision made yet. Federal law limits the kind of pay, uh, waste that can be, can be shipped to the repository, but opponents have said the Energy Department is looking to expand the mission to include high-level and other types of waste. Watchdog groups and other critics accuse federal government and Congress of stalling, delaying numerous efforts to open other repositories and find other solutions to both defense-related nuclear waste and spent nuclear fuel that, yes, is still piling up at commercial nuclear power plants around the country. So when critics say, what about the waste? Still just sitting in a temporary facility, including um, down in San Onofre, down the coast of Southern California, where the waste canisters containing the spent fuel rods are sitting right next to the ocean. So let's hope there's no sea level rise. The New Mexico repository has been in operation for more than two decades, having received nearly 12,900 shipments, disposing, disposing of the waste in vaults mined out of a salt formation Deep underground, the idea, according to the Associated Press, is that the shifting salt will eventually entomb the radioactive tools, clothing, gloves, and other debris that make up the waste. We're praying for salt. News of our friend. The salt-laden atom.
You know, if we all just cut down on our salt in our diets, we could make sure that waste is covered with enough salt to be covered with enough salt. Ladies and gentlemen, with that particular piece of good advice, we conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR. Worldwide, maybe some, some, is that, is that still happening? I, it's so hard to keep up. And on your audio device of choice, whenever you want it. And it'd be just like more salt, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for here, for me personally, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts for you personally, and the playlist of the music here on all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWOZ. WWNO. Slap my face. WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from purgatory. <laughs>